The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Welcome to the first week of summer here at Stone Oak because every, um, every summer we take a break from whatever we're looking at to kind of click into the Psalms. It's been a part of our rhythm for the beginning, from the very beginning, and I love it. It's this rhythm of our church that every summer we just get to sit in the Psalms together. Um, and so this marks the beginning, um, the, the smell of the grill and the, the uh, everything. I mean, summer is starting and, and it fits that we would be in the Psalms together this morning. So our Psalm is Psalm 143. And as we're looking at this, have you ever been in a place when things are just not the way they should be? When you want to say, like, come on, are you serious? Like, how is this happening? How is this, how is this happening to me? Right, like, there is a, a moment a lot like this in King David's life. And um, if you think about it, David was this giant slayer, like literally. And, and he was the anointed chosen king, um, chosen by God to be the king of God's people. God's chosen anointed leader. And he also, did I mention, slayed a giant. I mean, this was David. And and. The highest of highest of hopes and expectations for David's life. And yet, about 20 years into David's rule, about 20 years, um, the anointed king over Israel, the unthinkable happens, a coup. And from the most painful of places. So in this moment, David's own son, Absalom, begins to woo over an entire kingdom against his dad. That stinks. Like I can't even imagine. And, and here, he begins to subtly and deceptively and over a long period of time win people over from his dad and gain loyalty with the people and pull them over to him. He stages this conspiracy to take over. And again... This is David. That's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen to David, the giant slayer, the anointed one. Um, it's not supposed to be like this. And yet, after four years of a conspiracy growing under David's own nose in his own kingdom, it comes to a head and David is forced to flee. He is literally running from Jerusalem, the city that he conquered in all his you know, power and glory not that long ago. And here he's running, he's fleeing, he's hiding from his own son. David literally becomes a fugitive cave dweller who is afraid for his own life. That's David. It's not supposed to be like this. So David's life had become this moment of full-on opposition, full-on struggle, uncertainty, insecurity, anxiety, stress, depression, discouragement, Oh, danger, and I'll, I'll just settle in on that word uncertainty. 
because here he is in a cave. He has no idea what's going to happen, no idea how this is going to be able to turn out. The mighty King David in a cave, anxious, afraid, and uncertain. Again, it's not supposed to be like this. This is David's life. And by the way, you know this, but in a fallen world, so often we can relate to David and say it's not supposed to be like this. This is, we have these moments, we all face them. Um, And yet it was in this moment that David pens the psalm we just read. It's in this moment that we see David's heart in Psalm 143. What we're going to do is we're going to take this part by part, four parts, and we're going to bring it all together. And so I want to look at the first part, starting in verses 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, he says. Give ears to my pleas for mercy and your faithfulness. Answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant. No one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. It's painful to read knowing that's his son, isn't it? He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. This right here, this first part, is a bit of an assessment of David's situation. He looks at his life, and he's in a cave, again, nervous, anxious, scared, and uncertain, and crying out, God, hear me answer me. And I want you to notice something. You might have noticed it already, but can you see the lack of entitlement here? He wasn't here in this cave saying, hey, this isn't fair to me, God. Like, I'm, I'm big boy. Like, I'm big King David. Like, this isn't fair treatment for your king. He's not coming with that attitude. We don't see that. What we see is this humble and low, lowly posture before God in his situation. In verse 1, he, give ear to my pleas for mercy. Meaning, God, would you, would you, don't give me what I deserve. Like, would you have mercy on me? It's this lowly, he pleads for God to not enter to judgment with him because no one is righteous. So there's this realization that David has in this cave of, God, you're God and I'm not. You're perfect and I'm not. And, and no one is righteous before you. It reminds me of the, the text that we've seen in Romans 3 that says, no one's righteous, no, not one. They've all turned aside. They've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Um, This is the heart of what David's saying. There is this recognition of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man here in this cave, pleading for mercy. But it's not just lowly before God. It's lowly before man as well. Verse 3, he talks about the enemy pursuing him. And he's sitting in darkness like a dead guy, right? This is vivid language. This is being crushed in the ground, brought to darkness, comparing his life to a dead man. There's no entitlement here. There's no like bravado here. This is lowliness, brokenness, what we see here. And so David sums up his state with verse four. And I think this is the pivotal verse of the first part, verse four. He says, therefore, my spirit faints within me My heart within me is appalled, meaning his spirit has no strength at all. It's weakness down to the very bones, and his heart is appalled, meaning dismayed, cast down, burdened. Church, this is discouragement and depression. I'm not going to, I don't need to ask this, but, but how many of us have been there? This is the heart of David, the heart of the king in this moment. 
And again, this is the king, shouldn't be like this, and yet we can also relate to that. I have heard this so many times just on a pastoral level. When, when we go through things that are difficult in life, one of the things that I've heard is, is I'm a child of God, right? I'm, a, I'm loved by God. This shouldn't be happening to me. I shouldn't be depressed. I, I, Christians, we're forgiven, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're loved, we're chosen. Fill in the adjective here from Scripture. We know all these things to be true, and yet so many times we face things in life that shouldn't be this way. And we face discouragement, oppression, persecution, sickness, depression. And it shouldn't be like this. And yet, as we bring ourselves to God, we find ourselves relating well to verse 4. Not that we're hidden in a cave, um, pursued by an army led by our own son to kill us. I don't think that's your case. I hope not. But we are crippled often by uncertainty and by anxiety, and therefore my spirit is weak within me and my heart within me is appalled. We can relate to that. And so here, first part, first four verses, David's assessing his current condition. And we see this, and he's presenting himself to God with open honesty before him. And then we see from this that David, it turns to this pivotal moment in our psalm. Love this part of our psalm. I, I, I believe this gets us to the central verses of our psalm. Verse number five. Notice where it starts with remembering. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you've done. I ponder all your works. It starts with remembering. I love this because in the middle of his anxiety and uncertainty, what does he do? He forces his mind to remember the things of the past. He forces himself, he forces his focus to think back about what God has done in the past, his faithfulness in the past. He says, I remember the days of old. I remember the works of your hand. I remember what you did. I want to highlight another part of David's life that I think is really cool here. Um, rewind, young David about to face that giant that I was talking about, Goliath standing before him. Do you remember what David said when he was faced with the prospect of the giant? I love this. It's probably the most like epic baller thing anyone's ever said, what David says here. He, he, we see it in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, David says to King Saul at the time, let no man's heart fail because of that guy. I'm paraphrasing. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Verse 33, Saul says to David, you're not able to go to fight him because that, you're, you're a kid and that guy has been a man of war since he was a kid. This isn't going to end well. And I love this. Listen to what David says. Again, got to be the most epic statement ever. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after him. And I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, guess what? I caught him by his beard. That's so epic. Struck him and killed him. Like, this is insane. Then David says in verse 36, your, verse 36, your servant has struck down, like, Saul, David, I'm here. I've struck down lions and bears. That guy, I got him. I got him. 
He says, that guy, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of God. Now, lest you think that David is here just flexing, saying, I just nailed that lion. I got a bear. They got nothing on me. Lest you think it's him like flexing for Saul. Listen to what he says in verse 37. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of that guy. This is incredible. And so Saul just, what do you say to that? Well, go, Lord be with you. That's what happens. So what's David doing? He's not saying, look how awesome I am. What David is, is when he's facing a giant, he says, remember how awesome God is. Remember what he has done. And if he's done that, why would I be afraid? And so David's doing here in the face of this giant, he remembers God's mighty works. And I got to say, church, when the future is uncertain, sometimes the best gift that we have is remembering God's faithfulness yesterday, his faithfulness in the past. It is so, one of the most powerful things we can do in those moments is to look back. I won't make you go turn with me here, but in in Deuteronomy 8, God gives this lengthy instruction for the people of God to do just that. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, God says, the whole commandment that I give you today, you need to be careful to do it, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Then he says in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. You need to remember that, that he might humble you testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you keep his commandments. Right from there, God then goes out to list all the things he wants them to remember. Remember my goodness. Remember that how I walked before you in the wilderness. Remember how I provided food for you out of nowhere. Remember how I provided clothing for you. Remember how I delivered you from, from Egypt. Remember how I multiplied you. Remember what I've done. He goes on and he lists it all. The act of remembering is so central to our faith because we are so prone to forget. And this is why in verse 17, he says, beware lest you say in your heart, it was my power, my might, my hand that got me all this wealth. In verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get the wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And just because I'm going to come back here later, verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. He says, remember, 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 because you're prone to forget. And one of the most dangerous ways that we forget is when we forget the who. When we forget the who and we start taking credit for all of God's works, that we would forget it was God who delivered us and it wasn't me who delivered me. And here's why I'm dwelling on this so much. Listen, think about why this would matter so much if you're in a cave in despair. If it was by your own power and strength, if that's what you got, if it was all you, and if you find yourself then in a place where you feel powerless, when it's your power... When you face a giant trained in war to kill you, listen, you have every reason to despair. 
every reason, if it's you. In other words, when things are out of your control and you forget that God is in control and it is God who does the mighty works, you are led to an incredible amount of anxiety and discouragement. On the other hand, though, listen, when you remember that God is faithful and in control, when we remember that, then no matter what we face, whether it be uncertain or out of our control, even in a cave with your own life on the line, you're able to cling to the truth of God and you are able to remember who he is, what he has done. This is one of the main reasons why this is so central to us as followers of Jesus. Um, In the difficult times, yes, you can absolutely think back in your own life and think of all the faithfulness of God in your own life. Praise God, keep doing that, okay? But here's the thing. Brothers, sisters, we get to open this and literally remember thousands of years of God's faithfulness. Thousands of years and examples of God being faithful to his people that we can draw from and we can stand on and we can remember. And this is what David says, I remember. And then from that remembering, he says, I stretch out my hand to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. I reach to you, my soul is thirsting for you. Listen, we're from Texas, and um, I know that we've gotten an insane amount of rain lately. That is, that's not normal. If, you, if you're new to Texas, that's not normal. Let me show you what normal is. Go ahead and put that picture up. That's normal. Okay, everyone who lives here knows what it's like to go outside and look at the ground and see this. We know what it's like when, when it doesn't rain and it's just dry and parched. I'm going to leave this up here because this is what David said his heart is like. And for anyone who knows this, what happens when it does finally rain? Well, it's like nothing happens. The, the ground just goes, it just takes it. It's like thirsty. It just soaks it all up. It, like, it goes in the crack and it's gone. I love this imagery that David gives. I love this imagery because in moments of discouragement and anxiety and uncertainty, we are a lot like that, church. We are a lot like this parched, dry ground. And and I'm going to come back to this. This is a drink. This is a drink. The Spirit gives us the water of the word, and that through this we can remember, we can drink, we can have rain. It's like God places a soaker hose over us in this. This is what David is saying. This is the posture that David takes. His hands are out. He says, my arms are stretched. My my heart feels like that. And I just need your rain. I need your rain to fall. And I love that in this moment, in our psalm, your, your, your text probably has a little five-letter word that says Selah right after that. And that's just a, a, a moment for us to pause. Don't rush. Pause. Reflect. Breathe. And once you know it, that that's where God's word places the Selah, is when we're doing this, our heart feels like that, and we're waiting on God. And then it says, now sit. How many love waiting? Don't lie to me. 
We don't. And yet we sit and we wait. God, I'm here waiting. So that's our second part. We have verses one through four, part one. And that's this honest assessment of his situation. Part number two is five and six, where David remembers with open hands, soul thirsty for God. Now, part number three, look at seven. He says, answer me, O God, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I go down to the pit. Um, Do you hear the urgency here in this? Um, Don't miss this because I think this is really relatable. It's not only, God, I need you. God, I have this request that I need you to hear and I need you to do something. It's not only that. It's not only him saying, I have something really important, God. It's not that. There's also a time-sensitive component to this request, is there not? It's not just, God, would you answer me? It's, God, would you answer me quickly? Quickly. This is urgent. This is, this is an urgent thing. How relatable is that? God, don't just answer me, but answer me yesterday. Like, answer me. Hear me. I just think that this, by the way, I'm about to read verse eight. I got to tell you, this is my favorite verse in the whole song. It's probably why I think I chose this one. I love this verse. Um, And I think it's just an absolute treasure for any one of us who find ourselves in what's called a dark night of our soul. Verse eight, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love for in you I trust. In other words, it's dark right now. Right now, it's night. Right now, it's the dark night of my soul. God, let me hear in the morning some good news. Let me hear in the morning the goodness piercing through the darkness, sun piercing through the night. Like, in the morning, I need to hear some good news. And I love this because for centuries, God's people, as we have dealt with these dark nights of our souls, have craved the morning. Have you been there? Like, this is dark, but God, in the morning, please let me hear some good news. This is David's cry. It reminds me, by the way, of another book in the Old Testament um, written by Jeremiah that is a huge full-blown lament. In fact, it's called Lamentations. It's just a book of lamenting. And um, it's one of the most excellent examples of a book that, if I could sum it up, is, God, it shouldn't be like this. Lamentation. Hundreds and hundreds of years after David's reign, the people of God did not follow after God. They were wicked after wicked and went after other gods. And, And I read this already, but if you remember in Deuteronomy 8, it says, if you forget the Lord your God, go to those other gods. And serve them and worship them. I solemnly warn you, you're going to perish. It happened. It happened here. 586 BC, Jerusalem falls. And the people were taken off as exiles. And so this book of Lamentations is just written lamenting the great loss. And, and without getting into the nitty gritty here, the first three chapters of this book is just straight up I don't want to say whining. That makes it sound terrible. It's, it's like God-inspired whining for three chapters. It's, 
We are nothing. We've been brought to nothing. We've sinned. We're destroyed. We're groaning. We're weeping. God, you've forgotten us. God, you did this. You destroyed us without pity. That's what you had. Lamentations is that. And then in the depths of despair, after three chapters straight of God-ordained whining, we get to Lamentations 3 toward the end. It says, I remember all that affliction. My soul continues to remember it, but then we have this text in the darkest night of the soul, verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And he says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's dark right now, but they're new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. There's that waiting. The soul who seeks them, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So in the dark night, there is a morning coming. This is exactly what David says here of, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love because I trust in you. And by the way, side note, then I'm getting right back. In Lamentations, after that like hope-filled nugget of truth, guess what happens? Right back into whining. Like it's three chapters of whining, a big, bold hope statement, and we're right back into lamenting. That's what, that's what this is. It, it's like hope is literally sandwiched and stuck in the middle of lament. That's relatable. And so David here is looking for hope in the morning and these five really powerful words that he puts in you, I, tr- I trust, for you, I trust. Not I don't trust myself, I can't, it's not that I can make it, I can do it, I can figure it out. It's for I trust in you, David says. And he goes on to say, make known the ways that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul, deliver me from my enemies, I fled to you for refuge. Um, David is looking for that future morning light, God's answer. And in this moment where he has nothing left, he tucks himself up into God for refuge. So, part number one, David gives an honest assessment, assessment, verses one through four. Part number two, David remembers, comes to God, open hands, soul is thirsty for God. Part number three, David trusts in God in the darkest night, trusting that the morning is coming. And then lastly, part number four, verse 10, teach me to do your will, O God. If you just look at this, it's not merely to know the will of God. David says, teach me not just to know it, but to do it, to do it. David is pleading not just for God to deliver him while David says, and I'm going to ignore you until you do that. Um, God, he, David's not just pleading with God to be his deliverer while rejecting him as Lord. No, David here in the dark night of the soul is submitting himself to God. When things are bleak and when things are not the way he was expecting. Here he's in this dark moment and he's saying, teach me to do your ways that I may not, know, not only know your ways, but that I follow your ways and do them. You can see David's heart in this. I love it. Here when the night is darkness, you have no idea where to go. Um, you want to know what you should do? Exactly what David did. 
Do the things that God's given you in his word. Just start there. You don't know, it's so much uncertainty in the future. God's in control of that. He's given you this, do his will. This is what David is doing in this, in this text. Um, you might not have any idea what to do with your next step in your situation, but you do know what God has given you, what he has revealed to you. So church, start there. Start there. And notice again the lack of entitlement. He says, it's for your name's sake, not mine, not because I'm the king, the chosen one. It's your name's sake. It's in your righteousness. Not my goodness, not my righteousness, yours. And, and notice all of the pronouns. Your, you, 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 your. So in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all my adversaries and my soul. This is about God. This is about David looking to God and then the last final sign off. Would you just take in how David signs off this song? For I am your servant. I am your servant. Not for I am your king. I am, it's not that for I am the king, your anointed one, your chosen. No, it's I am your servant. There is a humility here in David. In the dark night of the soul, he's not crying out to God, shaking his fist, saying, how dare you, I don't deserve this. But in humility, he's crying out for mercy and deliverance, for I am your servant. Love this. So those are the four parts. Now, with the time we have left, and I know you're hungry, because I feel it too, smelling that, I want to bring all of this together. And, and what I want to do is, is just take all of these parts, put them together, and I want to do this in a way that really brings out what we see here in this psalm in a way that I think we can each relate to as followers of Jesus. So here's the thing. When, not if, but when you and I face trouble in this life, when that happens, I want to bring out six things quickly from this song. When you face a dark night of the soul, number one, come to God honestly. Listen, don't hide away from him. Come to him as you are that you might hide in him. It is complete nonsense that we would try to hide from God who knows us. And yet so often that's what I do and that's what we want to do. We want to hide until we got it figured out. And, and, and what we see in the Psalms is, is, is broken people coming to God in all of their brokenness where God hears them and can handle it. Did you know that when you're angry with God, he can handle that? You need to know that. We see David's honesty as he comes to God in, all throughout the Psalm, verse one, verse four, verse six, verse seven. He can handle your honesty because he knows you. He knows your heart. In those hard moments, we can come to the Lord and say, I have no strength left. I am depressed, God. I need you. Please come help. We can come to him in honesty. Number two, we remember who God is and what he has done. We see this in verse five. I remember the days of old. I meditate on it. I ponder it. In all of those dark moments, we look back and remember the gospel. We remember what he has done and who he is. We open this and we remember. So come to, you, come to him as you are, with honesty. 
Number two, remember who he is and what he's done. Number three, repent and follow him. David says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And notice that then he follows that up with, so teach me to do your will, O God. There is this, in those dark moments, there is this moment for us to confess our sins and then to turn and follow him. It's the word repent, it's to turn. We see David here modeling that. In other words, we not only open this to remember who God is, that's step number two, but we also open this to remember what God has called us to be and do, who we are in Christ. We open this, and, and with David, we say, Lord, teach me to do your will and your ways. So we come to him honesty. We come to him, and we remember who he is and what he's done. Number three, we repent. We follow his commands. And then number four, we have that text, I stretched out my hand and my soul thirsts for you. Listen, when you are in a dark night of the soul, number four, we sit in the word of God. We sit in his word. We saturate ourselves in this like that parched ground longing for rain. The word helps us remember. The word helps us know how we can live our lives. But church, the word, his word is also like water to a parched dry ground. And so in these dark nights of the soul, let us sit in this, let us soak in this. So number one, come to him honest. Number two, remember who he is, what he's done. Number three, repent. Number four, sit and soak. And then fifth, pray for deliverance. Like David does in, in verse one and seven and nine and 11 and 12, right? We see it all throughout. We pray for the dark night to end. If you've been in that moment, there is this honest prayer that we pray, God, would you bring this to a close? I'm, I, I'm longing for the morning light. We pray for that. And so we need to come to him, plead for him, call out for him to deliver, to save, to sustain. We call out to him. And we bring our needs, our burdens to him. And then lastly, final step, ready? Number six, let me... Here in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. The final step is trust him. Place your trust in him to do what you can't do. We come to him in honesty. We remember who he is, what he's done. We repent and follow after him. We sit and we soak in his word and we bring our needs before him and then we let go and we trust him. That's what we see David doing in this psalm and I got to tell you, it's not going to make dark nights of the soul easier. It's not going to make them like sunshine and lollipops right away. You do this and whee, you're, you're free. No. But in hard times, I got to tell you, and you know this, church. I know many of your stories and your testimony. In the hard times, you can experience a closeness and presence and power of God that is real and wonderful. You can know what it's like to be held and sustained by God and your faith and your trust in Christ can grow. I, I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed, God, would you grow my faith? What am I really asking for? Our faith grows often in these dark moments, these dark nights, when we're going through things that shouldn't be this way. 
And when we pray, we, we realize that our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who David cried out to hear is the same God who hears your cry today. The same God who answered David's cry here is the same God who answers your cry today. Those same mercies that are new every morning, same faithfulness that is great. We can trust in him. Now, I want to finish our, our, our morning with the weirdest song ever. And I love it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful song. And the reason I want to do this, it's not the normal worship song that you think of. Um, so warning, it's not. Um, but here's the thing. I, I honestly think that if we were to transport ourselves back several thousand years ago, join David in the cave, I think I know which song he would really be singing. I think this would be the Psalm 143 David moment here. And I, gotta, I know this. This might be, you might be here and this might be your cry as well. This might be your song as well. Guys, you can go ahead and come up here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the lyrics of this song as we prepare to sing it. This song says, Lord, from sorrows deep I call when my hope is shaken, torn and ruined from the fall, hear my desperation." For so long I've pled and prayed, God, come to my rescue. Even so, the thorn remains still. My heart will praise you. <sighs> Storms within my troubled soul, questions without answers. Have you been there? On my faith, these billows roll. God, be now my shelter. Why are you cast down my soul? Hope in him who saves you. When the fires have all grown cold, cause this heart to praise you. Should my life be torn from me, every worldly pleasure, when all I possess is grief, God, be then my treasure. Be my vision in the night. Be my hope and refuge. Till my faith is turned to sight, Lord, my heart will praise you. I mean, are you kidding me? That's David's psalm. That's the heart of Psalm 143. I can relate to this in a deep way because it's, this is my heart in those dark nights. And, and this is why this chorus that we're about to sing is so powerful. It says... And oh, my soul, put your hope in God. My help, my rock, I will praise you. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm. You're still my God, my salvation.